Okay, uh, we are in a preaching series in the book of Esther, uh, which has been wonderful to delve into uh, the last few weeks. Just a very quick recap, if you're new to us or you've missed a few weeks, Esther uh, was written at a time of winter for God's people, very similar in some ways to the the time, the season that we have been in uh, as a nation, as a church over the last couple of years. Uh, The book is set in Persia. Uh, King Xerxes is in power. He is like a godlike figure who rules over uh, this huge empire of 127 provinces. So Persia is kind of modern day Iran. And we meet Mordecai and Esther, who are Jews, who at the start of the book of Esther have conformed to the Persian culture. At the beginning, the first couple of chapters of Esther, Mordecai and Esther basically hide their identity. They're no different from the Persian culture. Esther becomes queen, Queen Esther. And all the time, all the time as we've touched on over the last few weeks, and we'll continue to see in the coming weeks, all the time, Esther is working and Esther is doing what she's doing as a queen. God is at work. God's quiet providence is at work. Now, last week we saw this incredible Mordecai moment in Esther chapter 3, when Mordecai showed courage in not bowing down to the evil Haman. Mordecai's refusal to bow down to Haman was the first link in the chain of courageous acts that leads to the liberation of God's people, the salvation of God's people, as we will see as we go through the rest of the book. Okay, today we are in Esther chapter 4. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to it now, otherwise it will come up on the screen. So let's read, shall we, from Esther, starting at chapter 4, starting at verse 1. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. Because if you remember, Haman had convinced King Xerxes to destroy all Jews. Not just Mordecai for refusing to bow down to Haman, but the whole of the nation of the Jewish people who were living in the Persian Empire. The die had been cast, the date had been set for this impending holocaust of God's people. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews. With fasting, weeping, and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. So Esther's, here's what Mordecai is doing, that he's in his sackcloth and ashes, that he's crying and wailing at the city gates. And Esther thinks, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to give you some clothes. I want him to be quiet because I'm the queen, a queen of Persia. I can't have Mordecai messing up all that has gone before him. 
verse 5. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to a tender, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with the king for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death. So Mordecai is telling Esther, you need to go and see the king. You need to go and sort out this mess. You need to go and tell the king to stop this edict, to stop the Jews being annihilated. And Esther in verse 11 says, you just can't go into the king. Because if you go into the king's throne room without being invited, you're killed. That's it. So Esther has got every reason to stay silent. Esther has got every reason under the sun not to say anything. For 30 days, she's not seen the king. The king, who knows, might be in a foul mood, but the law says that if you enter the king's throne room without being invited, it's a death warrant. You are kaput, dead. We're going to read now Mordecai's reply. We're going to read what Mordecai says, which is one of the most profound observations in all of Scripture. It's one of the greatest kind of short paragraphs of, of a call to courage. So let's read verse 13 and 14. This is Mordecai's reply to Esther when she says, I can't go. I'm scared. The king will kill me. 30 days, I haven't seen him. He might be in a bad mood. It's a bad, bad idea. Here is Mordecai's reply. Just listen to this. is one of the most profound pieces of scripture, a paragraph in the whole of the Bible. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews would arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. In this paragraph, which we're going to unpack in a moment, in this paragraph, is the key to how to survive the cold winters of life, the pandemic we've lived through over the past two years, a marriage that has no joy, the, 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 the grave that is now full, the empty bed in your home. 
How do we navigate the challenges, the difficulties, the obstacles of life? This paragraph of Mordecai helps us and challenges us. It is a real call to courage. Number one, we need to have a reality check. No one gets a free pass, not even the queen of Persia. See what, see what, see what um, Mordecai says there. Don't think that because you are in the king's house, you will escape. He's saying, basically, Esther, because you're the queen, you might think you might survive this, but you won't. You won't get through this unscathed. You might dodge the first bullet, but another is coming. There will be trouble knocking on your door. You see, the Christian life is not easy. The Christian life is not a bunch of roses. It can be tough. It can be difficult. It can be a real struggle. Bad things happen to godly people. Listen to a few scriptures. John 16, 33. This is Jesus talking. In this world, you will have trouble. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. You can feel at times that you have received the sentence of death. Isaiah 43 and verse 2. You will pass through the waters. You will pass through the rivers. You will walk through fire. Trouble comes with life. Mordecai is telling Esther, you can't avoid it. It's so important. That's the starting point. You can't avoid the challenges, the obstacles, the difficulties, the pain. It's coming. Even you, Queen Esther, will have to face these troubles, challenges, and obstacles. Second thing. But God is a God of relief and deliverance. One way or another, God will bring relief and deliverance because God is a God of rescue. Something's happened in Mordecai. Something's happened in Mordecai between verse 1 and verse 14 because in verse 1, he tears his clothes. He's in sackcloth and ashes. He's crying out loud and he's in utter desperation. But verse 14, he says, look, relief and deliverance will come. What happened in, in the gap? What's happened? I, I think what happened is Mordecai, now that he stood up for God, has gone back to his Jewish roots, and God has awakened in him a suppressed belief that reminds him that as an Israelite and as a Jew, that God is a God of rescue. He would have been reminded of the stories his mom used to tell him of Moses and how the Israelites were delivered from the Israelites, so from the Egyptians, how they went through the Red Sea, how the incredible deliverance to a little boy called David who defeated Goliath and the nation of the Philistines was defeated, how Daniel shut the mouths of the lions. You see, Mordecai was reminded that his God, the God of Mordecai, was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Daniel, a God of rescue. You see, Mordecai and the Jews at this moment in time had no temple, 
had no army, had no priests, and were far, far, far from Jerusalem. But they had Jehovah. They had God on their side. And you see, the situation that Mordecai and Esther were in was not a problem because God was with them. The situation you find yourselves in, in 2022, on the 30th of January, is not a problem because God is with you. I want you to to get this. I want the penny to drop. Let's go back to a few of those scriptures that I read you a few moments ago. John 16, because I only read half of the scripture. John 16, 33. In this world, you will have many troubles. Do you know what the second half of the scripture says? But take heart, I, that's Jesus, have overcome the world. So it's going to be tough. There's going to be trials. It's going to be difficult. But take heart because relief and deliverance is coming. Take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, I read you the first half of the verse. We felt we received the sentence of death. The second half of the verse says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Isaiah 43, I'll read you this one in total. It's a famous verse. Isaiah 43 and verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Though the rivers overwhelm you, when you walk through the waters, sorry, let's start again. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. You see, you see, God is a God of relief and deliverance. The question for each one of us is, does our view of God include that he is one of relief and deliverance? Most people in 2022 have a particular view of the world. They look upon our world in despair. They think it's a beautiful world, but it's broken. They they look upon the world and think nothing can be done to fix it. But the story of God and the story of us as Christians and believers is different. Because although this beautiful world has been broken, God sent Jesus, his own son, to take on our brokenness, to deal with it once and for all at the cross, defeating death and Satan for all who believe in Jesus. And the promise that one day the heavens and the earth will be made new. You see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that as a Christian we believe, is that there is relief and deliverance through Jesus Christ. So this call to courage that Mordecai gives us, it gives us a reality check, but then says, but relief and deliverance will come. And then thirdly, Mordecai says to each one of us, God uses you and me to bring about the relief and deliverance. He does. He always has used fallible, messed up people like you and me to bring about deliverance. Verse 14, the most famous verse in the book of Esther. For such a time as this. 
Esther, you've been placed in the palace for such a time as this. This is a call of courage to Esther. This is the turning point in the book of Esther for Esther. Last week, we looked at the turning point in the book of Esther for Mordecai. This is the turning point in the book for Esther. She she goes from one who is hiding our identity to one who embraces her identity. The faith of Hadasha. Hadasha is, is the Hebrew name of Esther. Esther was the Persian name. Hadasha is the Hebrew name, which means righteous. And it's like she takes on that identity and the authority that she's been given, the authority of the queen, and they merge together. She goes from, I can't do anything to I'm willing to lose everything. It doesn't matter. I will do what God has called me to do. She, she goes from, 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 if I go to see the king, I will die. I can't, I can't do it. To, well, if I perish, I perish. You see, it's like Mordecai has, has shone this divine spotlight on Esther. And he says to her, Esther, you are here for such a time as this. Esther, you are here for this purpose. You know all that crazy stuff with the harem? You know all that crazy stuff with the bachelor kind of competition? Do you know everything that has gone before is for this moment, for such a time as this? You are placed here for a divine purpose. Listen, for each of you, I want you to take take a moment. For each of you, you were made... For this moment. You were made to live in 2022. You were made for this generation, this particular time, the place that you work, the place that you live, the situation that you find yourself in. God placed you in this time, location, and generation. And you have an opportunity to act in a way that will bless more people than you can imagine. Now, let me just, just, just give you a sobering thought before I hope I give you a really challenging and, and, and encouraging thought. The sobering thought is this. Deliverance will come. That's the promise. The question is, will you be a part of it? That's the question, because what Mordecai is saying to Esther is, well, deliverance will come. Are you going to step up to the plate? Are you going to take on that responsibility? Or are you going to sidestep it? You see, if Esther had remained silent in the next bit of time, as we will see, she didn't. But if she had remained silent, she would have missed the opportunity to save thousands of Jews. But God would have delivered the Israelites through someone else. Because look, verse 14, it says, For if you keep silent, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. So God's deliverance and God's relief is not in doubt. The question to each one of us, and it's a sobering one, is will we partner with God in being part of that? You see, you and and me, we we can retreat. We can let our heart grow cold. We, We can hibernate away from the difficult challenges and obstacles of the world. 
we, 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 we can just insulate ourselves and hide away. We can keep silent. Or we can see the challenges that we face as an opportunity. Let me, let me illustrate this by someone you know very well, Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. changed civil rights in America and around the world. One of the most incredible men of the 20th century. But you may or may not know what happened early in Martin Luther King's kind of life as a, as, 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 as a civil rights activist. Late January 1956, when he was only 27 years old, Martin Luther King Jr. took up the cause to lead the civil rights movement. This was, to give you a time scale, and all young people will know this from, from school, this was just less than a week after Rosa Parks had refused to give up her seat on a bus to a white passenger. So just, just a week after that, Martin Luther King Jr. takes up leading the civil rights movement in the States. He was president of the Montgomery Improvement Association of Montgomery, Alabama. The minute he stepped up to the plate, he received multiple death threats. One of them he, he writes about, one particular death threat that unnerved him. He picks up the phone one evening and a voice the other side shouted a racist expletive, and then said, I am tired of your mess. If you're not out of town in three days' time, I will blow up your brains and blow up your house. So Martin Luther King then steps into his kitchen. He has to consider what he's going to do. He sees his beautiful wife and his young child. He, he can picture the rage on the streets the disquiet, the anger all around him. Was the effort going to be worth the risk? He writes about this and says he considered phoning his mom and dad, but they lived hundreds of miles away. So instead, he did something that his dad had told him to do. He called on the person that his dad used to tell him to go to when things were tough. He called on God. He prayed. He prayed for the one who makes a way where there is no way. And Martin Luther King, there in his kitchen that evening, after having received that phone call, bowed his head and asked God to help. This, he recounts, was his prayer. I heard an inner voice inside me saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth, and I will be with you, even until the end of the world. Martin Luther King recounts that that experience in his kitchen fortified him for carrying on the work, for carrying on the most prominent movement in the whole of the 20th century. He says that many times he struggled and wrestled with fear. In fact, it never went for the rest of his life. But he knew that God was with him. He knew that God would give him the courage whatever he faced. Listen, each of us, our lives intersect 
with opportunities in which we can come alongside the work of God. Now, you won't speak before a Persian king. You almost certainly won't lead a movement for national liberty. But you will have the opportunity. You will have the privilege to come alongside the work of God. I want you to think of it like this. It's like you go to your mat in the morning when you get up. And you see there an envelope, a big white envelope, and on it, is written invitation mark or invitation, put your name. You open it up and there is the invitation from God that says, for such a time as this, Mark, I want you to partner with me, the Lord Almighty, in X, Y, Z. It's an invitation from God to partner with him, to see his plans and purposes come to fruition. It will take courage. It's not easy. There are challenges and obstacles ahead, but it is an invitation. And it is an exciting, dynamic invitation to be used by God for such a time as this. Now, I'm going to do something that's taken me out of my comfort zone. There's a little bit more of the message that I've still got to bring. But I felt God speak to me last night to say, right now, at this moment, You need to pray just briefly from the front for two groups of people. I'm going to do that, and then we're going to move on to the last part of the message. So I'm going to pray for two groups of people. Firstly, I want to pray for all the young people in the room. And this is what I'm going to do. In a moment, if you're willing, and if you're under the age of 20, I'm going to ask that you would stand. That's all I'm going to ask of you, and I want to pray for you. Because I believe this is a significant moment for you to say, for such a time as this, I need to take on this call of courage and I need to go, go with what God has called me to. Okay, just going to say a quick prayer and then I want to move on to a second group of people that I feel God has stirred me to. So I'm out of my comfort zone here. Okay, so if no one stands up, that's fine. I'm still going to pray the prayer. But if you're under the age of 20, I want to just pray for you. Okay, just very briefly. You don't have to move from your seat. Just stand up. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. That's awesome. Okay, others of you might want to turn around with just with a hand out and pray for them. I'm just going to pray for them from the front and just pray a prayer at this moment for a call of courage for an Esther such a time as this. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these beautiful, wonderful men and women. Lord Jesus, these young people. I want to pray right now for an anointing for such a time as this. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, for this to be a call of courage to take on board this Mordecai challenge that comes to Esther, that comes to each one of them. And I want to pray that we would see courageous young people, courageous at school, courageous to stand up for what is right, courageous to stand up and not be silent at injustice, courageous to stand up and say, this is what I believe, courageous to stand up and love those that no one else loves, courageous to stand up and be kind, to stand up and be courageous. Father God, I just pray, would your anointing be on these young people? 
You know it's not easy. You know there are challenges of plenty. But I pray in Jesus' name for your anointing upon them for such a time as this, for a courageous Holy Spirit anointing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Let's give a round of applause. Okay, second group of people. I want to pray for those who are innovators. I want to pray for those who are creatives. Because I do believe that in the season that is ahead of us, having come through a pandemic, having, having pivoted to online, having used social media and, and all the things of the internet, I believe there is a continuing need to courageously and creatively go where God is calling us to go. Okay? So I want to pray, if you are involved in anything to do with technology or anything that is creative in terms of the arts, I want to just pray for you right now, and then we'll move on to the last part of the sermon. So again, if that's you, would you just stand up? I just feel this is a moment to continue to be courageous, to continue to innovate, to continue to use the, the, the tools that God has given you, the tools of the internet, you know, things like the internet, social media, YouTube, these, they're neutral. They can be used for evil mightily, but they can also be used for good, and they can be used to proclaim the gospel, and they can be used to reach the world that we live in. So I just want to pray anointing upon those who are involved in technology or those who are involved in the creativity and the creative arts for God to be upon you and to continue to use you. If that's you, just where you are, stand up, open your hands up in front of you, and I'm going to pray for you. Father God, I thank you for those that have stood. Lord Jesus, I want to pray a blessing upon them. I thank you for the gifts that you've given them, the skills that you have given them. I want to pray for envelopes that will come through their door that would have an invitation upon it with their name and a way in which you want to partner with them to reach the world. The way in which you want to partner with them to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Father God, would you anoint them? Father God, would you come and give them favor, Lord Jesus? Would you come and breathe upon what they are doing? I pray, would you help them to be courageous as they step out of their comfort zone as they step out boldly with the message of Jesus Christ, whether explicitly or implicitly, whether obviously or just in the background, would you use them to reach hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people, many of whom they may never meet? Would you use them to proclaim the gospel and to courageously be used by God? Encourage them and multiply what is in their hands. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Fantastic. Okay. Final part of our message this morning. Let me ask you a question. How does Esther bring about this relief and deliverance? She's been challenged by Mordecai for such a time as this. This is your moment. Partner with God. So how does she go about making it happen? Does she base it on her good looks? I mean, the Bible tells us that Esther was an absolute stunner. 
the films, Hollywood films we made about this book of the Bible, and the character of Esther is always played by a drop-dead gorgeous actress. Is it her good looks? Is it the dress she wears? Is it the perfume that she puts on? Let's look at the text, verse 15 and 16. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. How does Esther bring about this relief and deliverance? Prayer and fasting. What could Esther do? Yes, she was the queen, but she'd been silent for over a month. She was a woman in in that Persian culture. She had very little rights or voice. She knew that the Jews would all die in 11 months' time unless she did something. But rather than rush into the throne room, which, 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 which really, you know, you think, oh, courageous act, Esther, just, just go for it. Doll yourself up and leg it into the throne room. She doesn't do that. Rather than rush into the throne room, she retreats into the throne room of God. You see, this is a new Esther. The turning point is in chapter 4 for Esther, in chapter 3 for Mordecai. This is a new Esther. Up until this point, she's relied upon her good looks. Now, she is relying completely on God. She knows she will soon stand before King Xerxes. She knows she's about to risk her life. She knows she is seeking to reverse the irreversible law. So she prays in desperation. Three days, no food, no water. Hunger, dehydration, prayers of absolute desperation, tears rolling down her face on her knees, praying. What happens? Esther chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. Let's see. On the third day, after praying and fasting for three days, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace, in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her. He held out his golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. King Xerxes was pleased with her. She wasn't going to die. He, he was pleased with her. He held out the scepter. But remember, remember, this was not about her glamour or her outward appearance that had opened the throne room doors. This was about prayer. Because prayer changes everything. I remember 
reading in some commentary or book I was reading years ago about a, a new Christian who just read the book of Acts, which is full of prayer, the early church, full of prayer, prayer everywhere, prayer, the, the miracles, prayer and prison doors opening, prayer and thousands of people coming to Christ. And this book, this commentary was saying that a new Christian had read the book of Acts and then asked his pastor this question. Why do we work so hard and pray so little? Why do we work so hard and pray so little? Let me ask you a question. What if the only thing between you and a season of breakthrough is a season on your knees? Is prayer. Because when you pray, you partner with God. You know, most of us, don't need more teaching, more advice, uh, the latest Christian paperback. Most of us just need to pray more. I mean, that's the reality. It's hard. It's difficult. We find it challenging, but that's the reality. Let me, let me flip to, to Daniel for a moment to bring this to a close. So, so Daniel was a man who was also in captivity, much like Esther and Mordecai. He was captivity in Babylon. And he prayed to God to end his captivity. Daniel chapter 9 and verses 17 to 18. This is the prayer that Daniel prayed. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and incline and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. So there's Daniel crying out to God crying out to God, come Lord, come and intervene into this situation. God, it's, 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 it's our mess, but come by your great mercy and intervene. In Daniel chapter 10, we get this very unusual kind of glimpse behind the curtain. It's a glimpse behind the curtain that God gives us about what happens when you pray. Daniel chapter 10 and verses 12 to 14. Daniel is, 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 is talking here um, with this, this angel, and he says this. For he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the power of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. What is going on there is that God is pulling back the curtain to show us that the minute that Daniel prayed, things happened in the heavenlies. When Daniel was praying, it was making a difference in the heavenlies and was leading to the answer of his prayers. Prayer moves the heart of God. The angel came 
to help when Daniel knelt to pray. Are you struggling at the moment? Are you desperate? Is it a time of winter, a time of suffering, a time of pain, a time of uncertainty? The key is prayer. To imitate Queen Esther and to pray. Esther could have remained hidden. Esther could have rushed into the king's presence. But she chose prayer. We are to do the same. Get our face on the floor and talk to the Almighty. Here's where I'm going to conclude it. What is your version of Xerxes today? What is your Haman-sized challenge? You feel like your family is under attack? Job uncertainty? Families bickering and arguing? Finances up, down, all over the place? Questions, doubts about your faith? Retreat to prayer. Queen Esther could enter the throne room of Xerxes because she spent time in the throne room of God. If you're like me, we want the quick fix. We want the get at them. But sometimes the challenge is to go back and retreat and get down on our knees so that then we can walk into the opportunities that God has given us. Once you have spoken to the king of heaven, you're ready to face any king on earth. Once you've spoken to the one who has the authority, then anything you face is nothing 